a gentleman sold a $20 million asset in Minnesota. He put all the funds into the trust. He's like, I'm not doing a 1031 exchange because it's crazy out there. I think something's going to happen. And he was really smart. And this guy hates the stock market, loves commercial real estate. He's worth almost a billion dollars today. And he puts the 20 million into the trust. Five years later, the bank calls him up and says, hey, you know that property you sold to that 1031 buyer? He says, yeah, I remember. He goes, well, we just foreclosed on it. And we're just curious, do you want to buy it back from us? He goes, well, yeah, I think I maybe do. What's the price? And he goes, well, about 60 cents on the dollar. He goes, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And so he goes, give me a couple of days. And he, he formed a new LLC and he had the trust funds that owes him the money, joint venture partner with him into this LLC. And then he bought it back at 60 cents on the dollar. All tax deferred. Welcome to the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Mike DeHaan and Dan Austin. From wins, losses, horror stories, and tactics for optimizing your business, Mike and Dan take a real, uncensored, deep dive into the ins and outs of running a full-time real estate investment and wholesaling business. What's going on, guys? On today's episode of the Collecting Keys podcast, we have Brett Swartz with the Tax Deferred Tax Solutions.com. And he has a really interesting product that is a good alternative to the 1031 exchange for anyone that's looking to sell any properties and make some big gains, doesn't like to pay taxes. Listen to the end of the podcast where he has a story about a guy who actually was able to sell a property roll it into his tax deferred trust, and then use that trust to buy the same property back and make a really outrageous gain on his money without having to pay any taxes at all. There's a lot that can be said there. So go ahead and give it a listen. And if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review and share it with anybody who might find this helpful. Thanks guys and enjoy the show. What's going on guys? On this episode of the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast, we are welcomed by Brett Swartz. Did I say that right? Swartz? Swartz, nice. I did. There we go. I can read a little bit. Brett Swartz with Capital Gains Tax Solutions. And that's just one of the things you do. You also have a real estate investment company. I met with your uh, business partner the other day, and he, you guys are just starting a wholesale operation. Mm-hmm. You do a whole bunch of stuff. But your tax solutions company, I think, is super fascinating because you ultimately have like an alternative, I guess, to 1031 exchanges, or at least like an alternative way people can roll over 1031 exchanges into different asset types, right? And when it comes to 1031s, biggest issue always have, people always have, they're always very interesting to people, but you have to find a new property, you have to identify a property, be able to close on it, or you have to go and settle with a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust, which is basically just a, you know, a REIT with a bunch of expenses built into it. So, I'd love to hear kind of about your background, the stuff you're working on, and then obviously about that 1031 program you're working on. Because I think that that is extremely unique. And, you know, it's not very often in this space where I hear something that I've never actually heard of before. Usually someone's like a copy of someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, guys, it started out uh, at a young age in real estate with my parents, uh, building houses and rentals and cash flow in the Bay Area. MC Hammer Days, my brother and I would drive the Bobcats, hammer the nails, move the, move the wood, wow. and put up drywall. And then fast forward, went to college, had a chance to take an internship at a place called Marcus and Millichap, started to learn the investment real estate brokerage game, and uh, was focused on multifamily here in Sacramento. Things were going good for a while. This is 2006, you know, and then the market can, took a complete crash in 2008. And I saw friends, family, and clients lose half or everything within a few year period of time. And or just have to struggle with the banks for for time. And we quickly found out that the number one enemy for a lot of people was too much debt 
not enough diversification and uh, something called a 1031 exchange that also created this time pressure where they're buying these assets that they knew that didn't make a lot of sense on the cash flow per se, but their tax pressure, you know, required them in their minds to purchase it. And so fast forward, I learned about something called a deferred sales trust, again, not to be confused with the Delaware statutory trust, which literally has changed the game and it's changing the game. It's the Netflix of exit planning. It works for all things, primary homes, businesses, investment, real estate, and save a fail to everyone, cryptocurrency. And once you understand the nuances of how this thing works, it's Netflix to the Blockbuster 1031. And at the same time, my family and I are going through a struggle. My wife and I are barely married at the time, baby on the way. And we were barely making any money. And so she was full-time mom. I had, we had to move in with my brother into a small condo. We had to work at Cheesecake. I had to work at Cheesecake Factory for uh, 60, 70 hour weeks of Marcus Milchap by day, you know, the, you know, the side hustle by night, um, you know, seeing clients in the other room that had a $3 million listing I'm trying to get. I'm like, oh my gosh, if they see me doing cheesecake, I'm never going to get the listing. Cause I mean, so it was brutal, right? It was blood, sweat and tears. And I always share that part of the story because I'm on this side now of success, but it wasn't without all of the, seems too good to be true. Never going to make it. What are you doing? Go get a real job. You got to be able to support your family and you know, all this stuff. And, you know, now fast forward, we have five kids living here in Roseville. My wife's been able to save home full time. Now I just coach and train and teach people how to do this. And we just close deals every week. And it's a, it's a lot of fun across the country. And then we equip people like yourself who are looking to level up their investor base or their partner base or do more deals or raise more capital, you know, whether that be a business broker, version acquisitions person, commercial real estate syndicator, so they can unlock the ability to help their clients, friends, and family do the same. And uh, that's it. Nice. I like it. Perfect. Yeah, it's very uh, full background there. So when you were going through that rough patch back, you know, when everything sort of crashed, so your family, you have pretty significant last day, like the, were you guys one of those groups that was like losing properties and things like that, that was getting under water with everything that happened? Or were you basically able to see that from the sidelines and just learn from the experiences that everyone else was seeing since you were on the... The latter. We're actually very fortunate. I graduated, actually played basketball in college and scholarship. Yeah. And I actually took an internship in 06, started Marcus and Milchap even before I graduated. And then I graduated 07 and then, you know, was making next to zero. It, the whole thing was like, you know, timing was actually good that I wasn't making a bunch of money in 04, 05 to be able to buy the house, to lose the house like my cousin was mm. a couple of years prior to me. He was a little bit older. So it was actually from the sidelines. And then it was learning what not to do and then learning what to do from my clients. And that's one of the best things about serving high net worth individuals, especially commercial real estate owners and operators. Mm -hmm. It's the top 3% of wealth in America own commercial real estate and the ability to learn from mm -hmm. them and understand what to do, what not to do. So it was definitely from the sidelines. That's awesome. Like a lot of people learned during that period of time. You just didn't have enough to lose yet is what you're saying. Exactly. It was a blessing. <laughs> yeah, right. So you got the same education as everybody. You just didn't have to lose. You didn't have to pay for it, so to speak, in that in that way. That's awesome. So then I guess jumping into that, you obviously got to the phase now where you have your your education, you're doing your coaching, you have the uh a deferred sales trust. Mm -hmm. Diverse sales trust. So the kind of in between there. I'm assuming you invested a little bit. What, what did your personal investing look like? What sort of stuff were you buying? Were you going right into commercial? Yep. Because that's what you were yep. exposed to. Like, how did you sort of bridge that gap? Because I feel like that's something that's extremely challenging for people, especially when they're sort of new, maybe with their capital, especially if you're working at a restaurant, you got to come yeah. up with yeah. some good money to buy commercial assets. So how did you go about that? 
Yeah. So when we actually started to see some success and get some margin, you know, we did the Dave Ramsey plan for the 26 months. We paid off 65,000 of debt. We got our finances in order. Like we did, and then all of a sudden our income starts to, you know, increase by 50%, 100%, 200%. And we start to really get some momentum and always, and I still am focused on the, on the business aspect of serving my clients and then passively investing with some of the best operators in the country, right? right. And so we were buying passively. I'd either find a deal typically, and because I'm a commercial real estate broker as well, still am, but I'd find a deal and I'd roll my fee into the deal. So one of them, for example, was a deal in Arizona. Mm-hmm. It was a 50% built you know, uh, retail center and it was foreclosed and 50% lease, 50% built. It was a mess. Bought it with a business partner and he was the main GP and I was just a, a small sliver, but found the deal, rolled it in, raised a little capital and 6 million was the number. And within 13 mm-hmm. months, and that was all in, that was buying plus, you know, finishing out the construction, $13 million, right? So that was like, wow, you know what I mean? The ability to take advantage of really distressed opportunities and then turn them all the way around. And then it became putting it into small amounts. And then we would, you know, buy a house and do the renovations on that, live there for two years and get the 121 exclusion of $500,000 tax-free. But but yeah, most of it's been just passive. And that's part of intentionally because I have five kids and then two businesses and the podcast. I found that if I was going to be active, you know, something was going to have to give. And so my strategy has been mostly to go passive and and or raise the capital, mm-hmm. right? And then be a part of a small sliver of a GP. So it's, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different than being like an active operator, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, yeah that makes major sense. We're in a, a group called GoBundance. It's like a yep. mastermind that's, you know, has tons of real estate guys. And that's a similar model to so many guys yep. that are in there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. So I guess getting into that initially, when you're like finding the deal and things like that, that's obviously not passive. I guess what years is this happening in? Is this like fresh after 2009, 2010? So like, cause I mean, cause now so many people try to do this and that's where it gets so challenging because there just isn't those opportunities anymore. You're not going to find something that you can. There's not as much meat on the bone. Yeah. It's hard to find something you can buy for six. It's going to be worth 13 when you're all yeah. done. People are buying things at such small caps. Yeah, I mean, I think the key is just you're continually practicing finding deals and investing certain amounts, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not like mm-hmm. it's it, we never stop investing. Um, it's just rather what's what's a deal that makes sense during this time. Whether you need tax flows for depreciation or some cost seg, whether you need a, you know a big appreciation play, like we put in money into a senior housing assisted living facility four years ago. We found the land, uh, sourced it in Elk Grove, paid about seven point two million, and in the projects like a. $70 million project and it's memory care, it's independent. And then they're going to you know, typically double and triple the money within within those that period of time. So whether it be passive into a hard money lending fund where they just pay simple interest on the money, but it's still liquid. So I like to diversify. I like to say at least 80% mostly in commercial real estate products, multifamily, mobile home parks, senior housing, assisted living. And then I like to take uh, some passive stuff on LP, some GP, so it's literally a mix and it, it just it comes up as the deals come up. So it's not a one size fits all, but you're right. It is difficult to find, especially in California. That's where I'm at. You know, mm-hmm. we're yeah. very, you know, we're in the very highly appreciated place of California and it's not easy to find deals that make a lot of sense these days. That's why we're mostly going out of California gotcha. to find deals in Texas and Florida and Tennessee and Alabama. 
Cool. So you're basically just building like almost like a portfolio, similar to what someone would do with stocks, but with different kinds of assets, different involvements from the GP, the LP, preferred returns, all that sort of stuff. So the the one question that like everybody has is when when you say you're going outside of outside of your home market to these other markets, like what are you doing to find these deals? Are you just reaching out to brokers in those areas, or are you using your own type of marketing system, or what happens to to get those deals onto your doorstep? Anything out of state, I'm one with a local proven operator and syndicator, right? That if I'm not in the place, then I'm doing that. Like we did one in Fairfield here, California, and that was about six years ago now. And that one was a multifamily property, 72 units. And it's it's a local friend from church. And he's like, he's a great guy. He, he heads up one of the 15,000 units for a group. He's the head of acquisitions. And then he'll find deals that are below like their 200 unit minimum. And he'll buy them himself. So he'll get like, you know, he's got 72 units, right? And so, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. I'm hiring the who, not being the how, right? So I am not flying to Texas to buy a (laughs) duplex in in Lubbock, right? Like, I want to buy 300 units in Houston as a passive investor with an operator who has boots on the Mm -hmm. ground, has the management, is vertically integrated. Does that make sense, guys? Totally. I guess, what is that? Mm -hmm. You you just sort of touching on it. Like, what does that proven investor, that proven broker look like? Like, what is that? What is that avatar for you that you're like, mm. yeah, that's that's the person I'm going to work with in Texas? Great question. So we have about 11 strategic alliances now. Right. And uh, we've gathered those over the years. So but the deferred sales trust not only is important to defer the tax, but it's just as important where you can invest the funds. Mm. And a lot of our clients are coming from commercial real estate and they don't want to necessarily go into the stock market. Mm. Right. And so mm-hmm. with the deferred sales trust, the beauty is you can go in the stock market if you want to, but you can also go into passive real estate mm-hmm. deals. And so part of the vision is to give clients what they want, which is what I typically like too, right? Which is value add multifamily properties is typically where we start, right? Number two, mobile home parks, right? Number three, pro-business states. And then number four, the track record of that person. So do they have the same core values when it comes to leadership, comes to business development, comes to the love of commercial real estate investing, right? Do they have the team in place? Do they have the education in place? What is it about them? And, and I, you know, you subscribe to the emails, you have the conference calls, you call them, you look at their underwriting, you know, and you, you understand thoroughly what the business model is and the plan is. Mm-hmm. And it, you quickly see who are the most organized, mm-hmm. who have who have the systems in place, and then who have the track record. Like right. one of them we just partnered up with, Joint Strategic Alliance with, they have $3 billion under management. They've never lost a single dollar. Wow. Right? They also have a hard money lending line, and that lending line is a liquid fund that's never paid below 10% and averaging 13%. And then their, their multifamily did 45% last year, and that was kind of a high year but they've averaged 29% yeah. in that fund and it's an evergreen fund and they typically never sell. And, that, and they, so there's certain little pieces of the puzzle that you pick up on as you're in the industry long enough. And, uh, and then you have clients that give references. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what it is. And then you develop relationships with these people. And then I always say, if I'm not going to invest in it or my clients haven't already and they're sending them to me, then I'm not going to even put them in front of people. So, so it's, it's, it's getting to know them, like them, and trust them over a period of time. And then it's looking at their track record and then it's asking them tough questions. And then you say, okay, I have faith that you're going to perform on what you said you're going to do. And then you're typically starting with smaller amounts, right? You're not putting everything with them, yep. right? And then you're typically as well, I'm trying to lead myself and invest first with them. And then as they prove that, then, you know, but my clients, you know, as the Deferred Sales Trust clients, they're uh, leaning on me to make introductions, but they're really making the approval of the investments. So mm. it's it's a team approach, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it's all about you know who you know. That's real estate, it's such a networking heavy business. Well, and just collaborating. You use the words eleven strategic alliances, yeah. like. It is a team sport, but having having yeah. strategic alliances, having being collaborative is how we all make money here, how we all succeed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I guess on, on that vein, really quick. So I guess there's right now we're in a situation where there's more people that have more access to capital than they've ever had before. And we're also in a time where there are more amateur operators out there who they have the sales pitch, they've done the training, they've been to, you know, the seminars, but they don't know what the hell they're doing. What's the like five second sort of way that someone with a lot of capital can underwrite an opportunity? Do you have something that's like super quick as like an immediate red flag that people should, you know, be cautious of if they see it, if they're looking to be an investor? Oh man. I mean, if you don't know how to, if you haven't underwrote a thousand deals, right. Then, and then you don't, or you're not working with someone who has, then you don't even, you're not speaking the language. It's like walking in and trying to speak Spanish Mm -hmm. and negotiate a deal when you only speak English and going to Mexico, right? So it's an art and a science, right? And underwriting is you, you've either been through the fire of underwriting all the deals and walking deals and talking deals and negotiating mm-hmm. deals. And you know, the language and the dialect of even multifamily versus mobile home park versus self storage versus, you know, uh, senior housing, assisted living. I mean, it's a whole, each of these things are so niche. They really are. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would just say you want to hire the who don't be the how, and then until you have the 10,000 yeah. hours in that particular thing, even, you know, so mine's been multifamily and then it's deferred sales trust. And then, you know, mobile home park, senior housing, assisted living, but I'm leaning on those that I already have all of that experience. But like, that's, that makes sense. So I think the more you can niche and the more you can know your limitations yeah. and then to bring in the who, not be the how is, is the best way to approach making sure that you're underwriting properly. Yeah. So I'm going to even like simpler, right? So like, you know, my dad, they sell a house. They all of a sudden they have a hundred thousand dollars and they're like, I want to, you know, I've been hearing about this commercial real estate thing. I want to put money into a syndication. How do they find someone to do it? You know, like, like how do they quickly pre-screen? I see what you're saying. Here are the questions that I would ask. I think it's a better way to put it. So the first thing I ask obviously yeah. is cap rate, IRR, right? Cash on cash. What's the debt that they're leveraging at? Right. So there's some basic foundational questions. What's the um, basically the gap between where current rents are and where they're going to be and what's the cost to get there, right? How many percentage of the mm-hmm. units have been turned over? What's the motivation of the seller, right? You know, why are they selling? What are we buying, right? I mean, these are, these are probably the top 10 questions you're asking. And if the deal's been fully mm-hmm. or mostly renovated and there's not a lot of room there to grow the rents, then I'm probably not interested, mm-hmm. right? If the interest rate is, is much higher than the cap rate, I'm probably not interested either, right? That's another thing we're facing right now is higher interest rates and still pretty low cap rates. And so it's the cautious time to be in. Those would be a few of my things. And then if it's, you know, I like workforce housing, B-class assets, 80s or 90s construction, pitch roof, you know, central ACs, right? Be your better locations. I mean, these are all things that, again, you see as you just keep seeing the deals. Mm-hmm. I hope that answers the question, Mike. Totally. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, for sure. Just just basic stuff. Because I always think of, I mean, we see this all the time in the, I mean, we're mostly in the residential space, but people who are like raising money to, you know, from their their grandma or like their even worse, their friend's grandma, they're like, hey, you should take out this HELOC and you should give me that money so I can go flip houses. But they don't know how to flip houses. They just yeah. are like telling people that they do. 
and their friend's grandma doesn't know how to underwrite a person or a deal. Right. And so, you know, exactly. Yeah. And then it gets even worse when you have people that are more sophisticated and want to buy these commercial mm-hmm. assets, which, you know, not only, especially if they're tied to the debt and anyway, if they're limited, they're fine. But we know people who have been talked into being key partners or like general partners on stuff and having to be responsible mm-hmm. for massive debt that they don't understand yep. that they are signing mm-hmm. on. Right. And we know several people who have gone bankrupt because of their own ignorance and they get swindled by a key operator who's just like, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be so great. You know, they have no idea what the hell they're doing. When I, when I mean, even the other way, one of Dan's good friends, what's he's going to be losing like almost a million bucks. It's like a young guy he's yeah. like in his late 20s off of a deal that he didn't know how to operate because he sort of got swindled into the fact yeah. that it was a good deal from whoever he bought it from. So. Yeah, but you know, either way, people are responsible for themselves. But I always like to have the, the quick way to underwrite it. Awesome. So let's dive into your uh, delayed sales chart. I keep forgetting the DST, man. But you could call it delayed tax trust. It's kind of what it is. The nature of it is it delayed, delaying the tax. You're deferring the tax, right? It's called a deferred sales mm-hmm. trust. But yeah, what, what would you like to cover? Yeah. So I mean, this the the fact. Well, first off, I guess how exactly does it work? And you say it's like the Netflix of you know to the blockbuster that is 1031s, you can roll into any sort of asset. What are kind of like the best uses for it? Is there like a certain size that it makes sense to roll over versus not? You said you can literally buy anything. So does that mean I could like, I could sell an apartment complex and make a million bucks and literally just roll it all into a bunch of Ethereum? Like, you know, like, like what, what are the, the process and the, yeah. you know, cool structure? Yeah. So the, the premise is that most high net worth individuals like us, right? We struggle with capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere between 25 and 50% of our gain when we go to sell certain assets, depending on what state we're in, depending on what depreciation or capture we're in. So that's the thing we're trying to solve for. We use a deferred sales trust to eliminate the need for the 1031 exchange and defer the capital gains tax and then put it into cash flowing producing assets at any time. So, you know, we can create and preserve more wealth or help our clients, friends, and family do the same. So that's kind of the premise. So step one is who qualifies? Well, who qualifies? You need to have at least a million dollar net proceeds, a million dollar gain. So it's got to be big enough. The pain's got to be big enough, right? And your gain is a gain, but your tax would be, let's say, 25 to 30% of that based upon your your basis. Like, so let's say you had a property that was worth a million dollars 27 and a half years ago, a multifamily, and you fully depreciate it to zero, Okay. And now you're selling it for five, right? That's a $5 million gain. And if it's in California, we're using about a 40% tax and that's state, federal, Obamacare and some depreciation recapture just as an estimate. And on 5 million, 40%, that's $2 million. So we always want to make sure, what are we actually solving for? It's that tax, right? That tax and that's a huge amount of money that can either be rolled into a 1031 exchange or it could be used into the deferred sales trust. Now, if you have two assets, like two LP positions or two GP positions at $500,000 each that have that gain and that net proceeds, then we can also roll that into a trust and grow it. We want to scale it to make it make sense. That's kind of who qualifies for it. But again, it could be primary home, business, LP, GP, carried interest, captive insurance. It could be artwork collectibles, NFTs, crypto, Ethereum. We've done, we said an Ethereum case. And next is kind of a good case in point. You bring up Ethereum, a client, he and his wife lived in East Bay of California, he worked for Ripple, um, you know, XRP. He's amazing at tech. I mean, like 25 years in the tech industry. You know, he's working hard. His wife's working hard and they're working, you know, 60, 70 hour a week. She's an attorney, two kids. And they're like, man. And he started buying this Ethereum, started dollar cost averaging into it. I believe in this thing. I believe in this thing. And like, he's not really telling her because he's just putting a couple thousand a month. This couple thousand a month turns into, you know, $6 million, right? And he sits down with her and they're like at an anniversary dinner or something. And he's like, baby, I have something to tell you. And she's like, what? He's like, 
well, we got this Ethereum and it went to $6 million. She's like, we'll sell it all. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like there's a future in this thing. She's like, what do you mean? Like, what is this thing? You know? And she, he's like, well, let me tell you why. Da, 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 da. Okay. They sell it all and sell some of it, right? Because literally they can start, they can retire. They don't have to work anymore. They can just live off the cash flow for the most part. And so they go through this process of trying to get an exit plan for the capital gains tax, because that's basically where they, they settled in between. We'll sell some of it, but we've got to get capital gains tax taken care of because we're going to get clobbered. So she says, fine. Well, by the time that they were looking and couldn't find anything before they found us, guess what? Yeah. It crashed, right? It goes down to like a million. So they're like, they're like crushed, right? And then what happens again? Boom. It starts to rise again, rise again. Well, they met us about a year and a half ago. And I sat down with them for the first time. And the week before they said, yeah, it's up to 9 million. We're ready to exit. If your guys' plan works for us. And she's like, let's go. I sit down with them and I'm going, well, they're like, Brad, what, what can we, what can we, uh, you know, achieve off of this? I go, well, at 9 million, you know, at 8% is typically our return. It's about $720,000 a year. I'm like, what are you guys making now? And they're like, you know, it's about 600,000 a year. I'm like, well, there it is. We could conservatively probably, you know, make about 720 on average per year over any 10 year period of time. And I go, so it's 9 million, right? He goes, well, hold on, let me check. And he checks his phone out and he clicks on the thing. He goes, it's actually at 13 and a half million now. Within like Holy a two-week period, it went to $13.5 million. And <laughs> so this began the journey of like getting out, right? And guess what? By the time he said yes to us and by the time we got with Kraken, Kraken is the place that we, mm -hmm. we exit to because they've been most, most cooperative, let's put it that way, most responsive, but just Coinbase. They, uh, we had to go through all this stuff and it was like 100 emails, it felt like, between their legal team and our legal team. Like, who are you guys? KYCs and everything in between. And guess what? The values dropped again, right? Oh, and they God. dropped like six. And so now the wife's like, she's like so upset. And like, he's upset. And we're like, we can't control it because we've never done right. the deferred sales trust with Ethereum before. It's only ever been real estate or businesses and such. So fast forward, I get a call. This is like a month and a half later from this other drop. And it's like a Saturday morning. I'm driving to Walnut Creek for this continuing educational training. And he calls me. He's like, hey, Brett, are you by a Starbucks? I'm like, what's going on? He's like, last night, it hit our number. Ethereum crossed over $3,000 a coin. I want to exit 5 million right now. I'm like, okay, hold on. So I'm like, you know, it's like a movie. And I got my phone and I got the launch codes. I'm like, I don't want to go to a Starbucks because it's yeah. the Wi-Fi. You know, it's could be compromised. And da, da, da. I'm like, okay, I'll give you the launch codes. I'm like, we got to write a book. <laughs> the point of all this is he ended up exiting 5 million within about an hour. Okay. Yeah. And then he went on to exit another two and a half million of Ethereum out of about a $13 million valuation. And right. now looking back, he is so happy because he's able to diversify that wealth. Okay. And guess what happened just a couple mm -hmm. of weeks ago? Celsius, right? Celsius went completely, it's, it's over. It's BK. It's complete bloodbath, mm -hmm. probably billions of dollars lost for some people he had over 30% of his current Ethereum was in there and he would have had, you know, millions in there. And so we were able to not only diversify his wealth, defer his tax, but he was facing, you know, multiple million dollars of losses if he had it, had it at Celsius. So I told him, I said, hey, would you have been here? He said, yeah. And so what I'm, why I'm telling this entire story is because there's a number of things that are happening with him, right? There's retirement, mm -hmm. there's diversification, there's peace of mind. There's being able to be passive, being able to sell high and buy low, right? We can put the money into a, a liquid investment grade securities. We can put it back into real estate. In other words, we can work, work from a blue ocean mentality versus a red ocean of like, mm -hmm. especially crypto, high, low, high, low, or even real estate, right? That takes a little bit more time to, to move. So the deferred sales trust is that Netflix for all of those reasons, but especially for those who are in crypto, because he probably, again, would have lost 
30% of 13 and a half million. Now he's safe. Now he's diversified with the majority of them, if that makes sense. That was a roller coaster of a story. I'm glad it has a happy yeah, ending. That's that's 13 million down to 6 million down to 1 million. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, God. Right. Sell now. That, that's wow, that, is, that is crazy. That's crazy. So with that situation, I mean, something stood out to me there that was really interesting that I don't think I realized. So you said that you pay an 8% pref off of like to, to them, right? On that money that was transferred to you. So I guess from your point standpoint as the fund, so they send you the Ethereum to your Kraken account. And then do you hold that Ethereum yourself? So basically you take the asset and now you just pay them an 8% for the exchange of that asset directly? Or do they actually liquidate that and then the money came to you through Kraken? I'm just trying to sort of figure out yeah, let's talk what about the how. And it's the latter, right? So we only hold it for a half second and then we sell mm-hmm. it right away for cash so to get diversified. Okay. So cool. and let me also clarify for people what this is. So what you're doing is you're loaning the funds to this trust in exchange for a promise. So my client, what he did was he transferred a five million of Ethereum into the brand new deferred sales trust account. It's a made up trust name that only does business with he and his wife. It's a single entity trust. They are the sole lenders to it. Okay. Um, the funds never move without their signature or their approval. They must approve of all investments and movement of funds. So it's all safe and protected there. But what we're doing is we're actually transferring the Ethereum in this scenario or a real estate property to the trust. It's a sale, okay? But the cool thing is the trust yep. gets it for $5 million and the seller sold it for $5 million. So the trust has no gain, right? So it has no, no tax there. The trust immediately, you know, gives them a promissory note for five million, so they're owed back all that money. They did a hundred percent seller carryback, and then the Ethereum is just sold to cash, and then the cash is sent to the bank. So we get out of it right away. So we get out of it within, I think, within twenty four hours, right? So that's how it works. Now, in a real estate transaction, we could assign the interest of an LLC. We put that into an addendum, you know, prior to the buyer moving all contingencies. Mm-hmm. If we're going to save a failed ten thirty one exchange. We can do it basically day 46 or day, day 181. So the answer is it all kind of depends. It works for S-Corp, C-Corp, LLCs, but realize that you're changing your characteristics. So if it was Mike's deal, Mike's going to assign his interest or transfer his coin, transfer his property to mm-hmm. the trust, sell it, right? But not receive any cash at closing, right? Receive a promissory note. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps it in a deferral state. It's known as IRC 453. And it goes back to the 1920s. There's been thousands of closes with the Deferred Sales Trust, billions under management, over 26-year track record, um, over a dozen no-change IRS audits, plus additional former audits, lifetime mm-hmm. audit defense. It works in all 50 states. It's literally batting a 1,000. But what you'll quickly realize, is it's not just the strategy, it's the team to execute it. And this is what we do. We help people to execute this. Our role is the trustee. We work with the tax team to do the legal work. I work with the third-party financial advisor to keep accountability and, and, and kind of a, that perspective as well. So hopefully that answers the question, Mike. Yeah, it does. Now, it, it's, it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm honestly amazed that I've never actually heard of this because everyone always just fixates on the 1031. So I guess one last question on this before we'll, we'll dive into our, our final questions here is, so they have this deed of trust, oh, sorry, this promissory note with, your, with the trust, paying 8% or whatever the agreed upon terms are. Do they have the ability at some point to exit that entirely? I'm assuming so. And like, what does that process look like? And at that point, is that when they would pay the full capital gains? And I guess, what what is the exit for an individual? Like, that's an individual. 
Yeah, you got it. It's a great question. So just like a 1031 exchange, when do you pay the tax? Well, the mm-hmm. moment you stop 1031 exchanging. Well, when do you pay the tax on the deferred sales trust? Well, the moment you stop having the funds in the trust, and you take back constructive receipt. So most of our notes are structured as 10-year terms. And every 10 years, you can renew for 10 years, renew for 10 years, you can pass it to kids. You can also do a five-year term or a three-year term, right? Typically, interest-only payments. Most people are taking 5 to 6%, keeping a little cushion between the 8 and the 5 and they're living off the interest. The interest payment will be ordinary income tax. You get a 1099. If you dip into principal, which you can, right. it'll be cap gains tax on that amount. But again, most will just keep the golden goose. Let's say this is $5 million in this scenario, right? Intact and live off the golden eggs, the 8% interest, right? Have an extra $2 million working for them. This, the government's charging you 0% on that. Incredible, right? And they, and they use it as a way, it's a cash flowing producing opportunity for not only the investments that it's in, but also the best it can be. And this is the best part. In fact, the ability to partner with the trust to buy real estate is the best thing about this. Let me give you, the, let me give you this example. So in 2006, we called this the Monday morning quarterback. A gentleman sold a $20 million asset in Minnesota. He put all the funds into the trust. He's like, I'm not doing a 1031 exchange because it's crazy out there. I think something's going to happen. And he was really smart. And this guy hates the stock market, loves commercial real estate. He's worth almost a billion dollars today. And he puts the 20 million into the trust. Five years later, the bank calls him up and says, hey, you know that property you sold to that 1031 buyer? He says, yeah, I remember. He goes, well, we just foreclosed on it. And we're just curious, do you want to buy it back from us? He goes, well, yeah, I think I maybe do. What's the price? He goes, well, about 60 cents on the dollar. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And so he goes, give me a couple of days. And he, he formed a new LLC. And he had the trust funds that owes him the money, joint venture partner with him into this LLC. And then he bought it back at wow. 60 cents on the dollar. All tax deferred, still hasn't paid a dollar of tax, not using a 1031 exchange, obviously, right? Because it takes 180 days to complete a deal and you can't 1031 back into your own deal, but you can deferred sales trust back into it. So he sold high and he bought low. And this is when my brain exploded. And I'm at Marcus and Milchap going, what in the world? Like, this is actually possible? Like, why? We thought we were the Navy SEALs. We thought we had, you know, 1031s. We were were the best, the best. But I actually learned about it at Marcus and Milchap. But the key was... Mm-hmm. believing, right? And seeing it and understanding the nuances and spending the 10,000 hours with the tax attorney to have this ability to execute. Because at a certain point, you guys didn't know how to wholesale. You didn't know how to 1031. You didn't know how to negotiate a deal. But there's all these other people that are helping you get this knowledge. And then you start to do the thing. And so now we're doing the thing and just showing what people as possible. But guess what? Most 1031 exchange accommodators don't want you to know about this. And most brokers mm-hmm. don't want you to know about this because they want to keep mm-hmm. you in the 1031 dance. In fact, I just did a whole video on YouTube about this. And they yeah. want to get paid the big commissions. And you can't blame them. That's the business that they're in. And I love 1031s too, yeah. when the deal makes sense. And this is also why we work on a conditional basis. We say, literally say, hey, guys, you do a 1031, you don't owe us anything, right? If your deal doesn't close, you don't owe us anything. But we want to give you this door, an option as you're going down this hallway of your exit, that at any point you can exit and go to the deferred sales trust and rather than just going down and paying the tax. So hopefully that answers the question, Mike. Yeah, that's awesome. Great explanation on that. Yeah. It does. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Your wealth knowledge just is super fascinating. I hope that, you know, what we're talking isn't above all of our, you know, not all of us, but a lot of our listeners, because it's like next level stuff that you're doing. It's super, super cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting excited just listening to you. It's so cool. I'm learning something completely new today. Yeah. Which, which doesn't happen super often these days. So right on. Well, we appreciate it, Brett. We're going to go into our final questions here. Question kind of about you, you know, fun question in there. So first off, what do you think is your secret sauce that allows you to be successful and, and competitive in your business? 
Oh, my secret sauce. So I believe we've all been given certain gifts in this life. And these gifts have been given to be a blessing and help to others. And the ability that we can maximize the potential of those gifts, right? And, and, then, and then maximize the number of people we can help. And, and really know what those, that, that strength or that gift is, is the ability to do um, huge impact. So I've been given some amazing gifts. I feel I've been blessed with the ability to encourage people and challenge people at the same time, right? And then the ability to work well on teams, right? Mm-hmm. And so I grew up, you know, playing sports and basketball and football and baseball. And I had a chance to play basketball in, in college and on scholarship. And then I had some amazing youth pastors, coaches, parents, even when my parents were divorced at a young age, uh, God always provided people to mentor and coach me. And I was always willing just to, to learn and like be humble about it. And also as humble as I can be about it, right? Um, humble to know that I don't know enough and just be like a honey badger and be like, whatever he's going to take. Like if I didn't work at Cheesecake Factory, if I need to work 60, 70 hour weeks and ruin my brother into a small condo. Like if there was something that I really wanted, I was willing to burn the ships and just go all in to go, go get it, Right. So that drive and that desire from my parents, you know, and then my older brother and cousins, I was, that all kind of works into like the, I think the secret sauce of where I'm at now. Very cool. Yeah. Perfect. And then this is kind of a mixed question. So the question we typically ask is what is your craziest real estate story with you since you have been in business, you have your funds, all that sort of stuff. And I mean, you might've already told it with this guy up in Minnesota. (laughs) The Ethereum one was pretty crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty crazy story. But what what is your craziest like real estate or business related story? Um, yeah, there's a couple crazy ones, right? So, I mean, we could talk about a deal. Have you guys ever deal with yield maintenance no. before you guys know what that is? Yield maintenance is basically like a no. prepayment penalty that's based upon where interest rates are at. And I had a deal which I like to take on the deal sometimes that people don't think are going to close, right? Or that mm-hmm. are too too hairy or too challenging. That's been in my nature as well, even with the deferred sales trust. Like I had literally had brokers and in my office who were in that same presentation in 2009 when we were learning about it, laughing, being like, are you really trying to try to talk to people about this? Like, like what? that's never going to work or it seems too good to be true. And yeah, call me when you close the deal, right? Like, like and they're, they're, they're friends and, you know, mentors and, they, and they, they did a lot more money than I had done and close. And so I respected their opinion, but they would laugh. And so there's one of these deals where we're trying to sell 15 units in Marysville and in, uh, in Sacramento off of Marysville Boulevard and had a yield maintenance attached to it, which basically meant that the seller would have to pay about $270,000 in this prepayment penalty, yield maintenance is known as, unless the buyer assumed the loan. And one of these loans, it was like a government 30-year loan, Okay. And when you're dealing with the government and you're trying to like assume something, it's just a complete, you know, you can imagine the DMV, you're trying to get a loan, right? <laughs> and in, the, in my client, I was representing both sides and it was down to the wire. He was in his, he was in his, you know, 1031 exchange, right? And we had the deferred sales trust as a backup plan just in case, but he wanted, to, he, this is a good deal. And I told him we should buy this deal. So we're going down and it's like day 160 and I'm calling the loan people. I'm like, we got to go right now. It's day 170. Like, and I'm just, you're just pushing and pushing and it's just nuts. It literally goes down to day 180 and we close it and we got the assumption, like the approval the day before. It was insanity. And so that would probably be the the craziest down the wire where you're just feeling like you don't have any control, but we got it done. Yeah. Nice. And and no, no, in the government, they probably didn't look at it until day 178. So it was taking 180 days regardless of what happened. <laughs> 
I don't even know who that person was. It was through like another loan guy. And like, I was just pleading with them. I was just like, please, my client's going to lose a million dollars in tax if we don't do this, please. And we got it done. So it was good. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Cool. And then just to finish off, where can people find you, follow you, you know, learn more about what you do? All good stuff. Yeah, com. You can check out the new book that's coming out with Kevin Harrington from that's Shark Tank. He'll be in the book, which is pretty awesome. And other commercial estate operators and financial advisors in the book. And I tell you, I tell my whole story of, of the deferred sales stress. It's called Building a Tax Deferred Exit Strategy. And it's the proven playbook for unlocking your ideal wealth plan when selling assets of any kind for yourself or your clients. And so we just, we dig in deep into the deferred sales trust and how, it, you know, what it can actually do for you, right? And, uh, and, and a lot of some strategic alliances that are in here as well. And then you can go to uh, my YouTube channel. You can subscribe. It's Capital Gains Tax Solutions. You can check me out on iTunes on the podcast, uh, Capital Gains Tax Solutions. And then Instagram, you can search my name, Brett Swartz, LinkedIn, Facebook. I like it. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Brett. We really appreciate it. And if you guys enjoyed this podcast, I really hope that you did because that was truly, truly fascinating stuff that you got into there. Even if you didn't, go subscribe anyway and uh, just download all of our episodes. It helps out our metrics. And share this with any of your friends who might need tax solutions down the line. And if you are following us along and you are buying real estate, I guarantee that you will. So go ahead and subscribe and give us a five-star review. That would be great. If you want to learn how to find off-market properties and that so that you can have tax problems so that you need to talk to Brett and do massive uh, exchanges into his trust, go ahead and check us out at the instantinvestorprogram.com. And Dan and I will teach you exactly how we have done it. And we'll be working with Brett here hopefully soon. And uh, so you can go ahead and send on for a call there. Besides that, follow us on Instagram. I'm at Mike underscore invest. Dan is at investor man, Dan. And besides that, anything else, Dan? That's it. See you all next week. See you all next week. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out at CollectingKeysPodcast.com for tips and guides on starting your own real estate investment and wholesaling business.